Hey, welcome. Be up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble falling asleep. Well, welcome. This is Sleep With Me, presenting Game of Drones, the Game of Thrones podcast that puts you to sleep. We do with an episode discussion. All you've got to do is get in bed, turn out the lights and press play. I'm going to do the rest. And what, what is the rest, you might say? What, uh, this is my first time here. He said, okay, he said, sleep, Game of Thrones podcast that puts you to sleep. Pitch me. You, we're on an elevator. Pitch me. This I'd say, what, wait, what, what? Okay, um, I'd say, okay, so you want an elevator pitch. Here it is. You know, if you got stuff running through your brain at bedtime, uh, listing, telling you stuff to do, saying, hey, blah, blah, blah. Why didn't you do this? You're supposed to do that. Why aren't we on vacation? Do I have a cold? Is is my left big toe numb? Hey, oh, now I can't stop thinking about my big toe. How am I going to fall asleep for the big meeting? Is the big meeting tomorrow, or what if I, you know, what if I wake up naked? Oh wait, I am naked. You know, if your mind's running with one channel like that and a couple other channels broadcasts and other stuff, or any any other stuff, if it, if you got something keeping you up at night. I'm going to distract you from that. I'm going to create a safe place. What I mean by that is like, uh, you know, I'm here to help you fall asleep. That's it. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about Game of Thrones. I'm going to talk about the latest episode. Unbowed, unbent, unbroken. I'm going to use a lulling, even tone. And I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to paraphrase. I'm going to comment, I say, geez, is that a mu- was that a mustard shirt that person was wearing? Yeah, w- would you say the uh, Dornish people are wearing mustard, or is that a maize? Or is that more of a burnt yellow? Is there a burnt yellow? Does Crayola make burnt yellow crayons? And then later in the episode, I'm going to be like, you know, I've looked up burnt umber. And burnt sienna. And then I said, it harkens back. Now, in some other podcasts, you might hear something interesting about this. Say, well, geez, you know, the great burnt umber, umber, the great burnt sienna rebellion of 1842 occurred. And they had to lay it with music beds and interviews and comments and sounds. And they keep you awake. You say, oh boy, this is interesting. Did they say Sienna Miller traveled to the site of the Burnt Umber Massacre mistakenly thinking it was a Burnt Sienna Massacre? And now she's going to talk about it? Oh no, that's Bodie Miller. Well, why would it, why is Bodie Miller interested in either one? That's even more interesting to me. I love Bodie Miller. I'm going to stay up a little longer. Uh, now that would be a podcast you'd say you, you, you'd lose sleep over. Now, but this key thing in common with that podcast and my podcast is you won't be thinking about stuff because you'll be listening. Now, that podcast, you'll be, like, enthralled or interested or absorbed or waiting in gleeful participation for another mention of Bodie Miller. And you'd say, I always wondered, you know, could you tell us more about his parents, why they named him Bodie? But at this podcast, you're going to get Bodie Miller, me saying Bodie Miller, and saying, well, geez, I wonder how many times I could say Bodie Miller before someone reaches through the microphone and grabs me and says, stop with the Bodie Miller for the love of Bodie Miller. 
but I'll say it in a nice tone. And believe it or not, while I totally respect your intelligence as a podcast listener, and by the way, most of the podcast listeners are above average intelligence, if you just don't mind me saying it's the truth, and, you know, in a higher IQ, in a wonderful smile. But anyway, moving on. And they also, 9 out of 10 podcast listeners love Bodie Miller. Would you believe that? And I say, who wouldn't? A grouch, maybe. And maybe that's the 1 out of 10 that listens to the Grouch cast. Uh, well, that one was shut down. I had one called the Grouch cast where I pretended I was Oscar the Grouch. Sesame Workshop said, oh, boy. Don't don't make us, you know, call poor Oscar to a trial against you. He's been through too much already. I, I said, out of respect for Oscar the Grouch, I will drop the most successful podcast I've ever done, the Grouch cast. And, and I don't know if you're still with me, but that's what I do here. I take a turn. I say, I take it to. I'm, I'm like, uh, in some sense, I'm like an incredibly slow moving Bodie Miller. Uh, up on the mountaintop, but instead I'm kind of like uh, if you uh, put Bodie Miller on a on a barely barely inclined ski slope, made of peanut butter instead of snow, strapped on a couple, uh, you know, you could put probably put skis on anyway, and uh, send them down the hill. That would be me. I'm the Bodie Miller of the peanut butter uh, peanut butter slalom. That sounds. I wonder if. Uh, yeah, yeah. Get this. Get the candy companies on the phone. Peanut butter slalom hitting the stores this week. It's like having Bodie Miller in your mouth. <laughs> oh boy, double lawsuit there, Bodie Miller and the candy companies. But yeah, I do like a peanut butter slalom where I go slow. Say a Bodie Miller, and they turn and say, "Well, you know, by the way," and I drop a burn number. Turn again, I say, I sing like Braun. Mention talk about Jamie's haircut. You know, uh, uh, what do you call it? Pine over Circe. You know, fawn over some beautifully framed shots and some wonderful dialogue. But that's what I do the whole time, though. As I said, you know, just like an interesting podcast, hopefully your mind will be occupied. The parts that are chattering, I'll say, well, geez, I... Funny, uh, we love Bodie Miller up here in your chatter brain, and they'll keep listening to me. But the deal is, you know, just like Bodie Miller is so confident and cool, well, I'm not confident or cool like Bodie Miller, but at the same time, I have a Bodie Miller-esque attitude about it. And I say, hey, if you're going to fall asleep, man, it's cool with me. Go for it. You know, brah. And just fall asleep whenever you feel like, yeah, it's not going to bother me. It's the purpose of this podcast. So you say, well, if it was someone with a brain talking about the Burt Sienna massacre, I, and I would feel bad falling asleep, especially with this interview with Bodie Miller, and he's weeping about his first use of, you know, when he was forced to use a generic Crayola and why he has a Crayola tattoo. You know, that you should, could stay awake for out of respect. You don't have to respect me most respectful thing you can do is just relax and fall asleep. But that's what I do here. Peanut butter slalom. I could have just said it like that. You probably would have. You're intelligent. You know, you have above average intelligence and intellect. You probably would have put two and two together. But I wouldn't have been able to say Bodie Miller. I don't even know. I just said I'm not even keeping track how many times. But I can bet you those little brain bots in your head 
they're grinning every time I say Bodie Miller. But, you know, whatever. That's what I do here. I'm glad you're here. I hope I help you fall asleep. We're on the web, sleepwithmepodcast.com. That's where I have the show notes and links. And that stuff, you can uh, subscribe on iTunes. That's the best place the podcast will come automatically to you. You can email me feedback at Sleep With Me Podcast. You can comment on the website. Quickest way to get me is either on Twitter at Dearest Scooter or on Facebook. Both those places you'll find the bloopers from the show. I mean, if this is a regular show, you got to wonder what the bloopers are like. What didn't make the cut? If I left in Bodie Miller in my mouth and it's a candy commercial, you say, well, boy, what, what is this guy leaving out? So that, but don't lose sleep over it because it's, not, it's nothing. It's usually me singing a song. Um, let's see, Facebook. So you can get a hold of me there. Let's see what else. If you want, if you're good at picking out fonts, we're trying to figure out a T-shirt uh, that says "Sleep with Me," and then in tiny, you know, big letters, and then like the podcast that puts me to sleep in smaller letters. So if you're good at picking out fonts, and you know some fonts that are like uh, not copyrighted, we could use. Let me know, and I'll buy you a T-shirt when we have the T-shirts when they come out. Uh, if you want to help out the podcast, our pledge drive for the month of May. Here's a simple and small talk with a stranger. You could help spread the word of the podcast by just making small talk with a stranger. You don't even have to bring up the podcast. And some people might say, well, that's a terrible idea for a pledge drive. Well, yeah, you know, you can't have 12 months of uh, keep up the good work, you know. It's uh, small talk. It's time for a break. Small talk with a stranger. So I say, if you want to help the podcast out, say hi to somebody. Hey, you're waiting for the bus? That's a hell of a mustache you got. And then if she slugs you, you pray, I deserve it. Say, well, the podcast guy told me that. Uh, but, you know, or say, hey, go Packers, Green Bay, Wisconsin, you know, or whatever. I say, geez, that moon, that's the sun, you idiot. Those are well. Those would be examples of small talks that I tried that didn't work. But I try it. Small talk. It doesn't say you know. Well, I guess the pledge drive technically isn't try small. It's make small talk with a stranger. What happens if the host can't complete the pledge drive himself? Hmm. But anyway, I keep trying. I got like eight more days or something. Small talk with a stranger. That's it. And as I said, I'm glad I'm, I'm glad you're here. I hope I'll help you fall asleep. Uh, gratitude time, crone, sweet, sweet crone, Miller, Smith, Barky, Jester. It's me uh, dialing you, uh, praying, praying you up, praying you. Uh, I guess you don't pray with open arms, but uh, my, we say, well, I don't know about open hearts, gods, open souls. Wide open soul of thankfulness to you, gods. Just saying, hey, let me. Well, I guess it was already open because he said, well, you gods got some good stuff in there. Thanks for uh, uh, stuff that I'm going to say right now. Starting with Chris Posty Posterson. Chris Postal sounds like an earful podcast. Does our music. Sir Scotty. And our lady Jennifer, they, they've taken up, uh, uh, we owe our sing, sig, sigil and our banner to them. 
uh, all the other people out there constantly supporting the podcast gods. Starting with a nice email from Betty. Nice comments from Michael. Over on Twitter, we got a great idea from the Silver Tone. Or from Elizabeth. Alexandra. Also got an email from Alexandra. That was nice. Babs, Livy, Jill, Straw Vegan, Luke, Jake, Carey, Jennifer, Rebel, Eli. Uh, over on Facebook, we're from Jeremy, Billy, Kimberly, Laura, and Anna. Uh, so that's it, guys. I just want to thank you for all the listeners that support the podcast. And especially Silvertone's got the great idea of doing a hashtag. Because I said, hey, anybody's got any uh, Flickr photo streams or photo galleries you want to share with me? I could use that for a story. But I was thinking the same, me and Silvertone, we think alike. That's why neither one of us can sleep, probably. Yeah, except the Silvertone's got silver tones. I have more like uh, Rust-Oleum tones. The silver version of Rust-Oleum tones of Dearest Scooter. Somewhere deep beyond the sea. Anyway, guys, that was a goof on myself. But Silver Stones, it went out a hash, hashtag, and, uh, you know, people could submit stuff via hashtag. And they could just search the hashtag and say, oh, okay, here's, here's some story ideas, and then boom, 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 go through them. It could be a picture, it could be some words, it could be... A picture or some, you know, words or I guess other things you could tweet and look at and read. So anybody wants to do that, the hashtag's going to be Silvertone, one word, S-I-L-V-E-R-T-O-N-E. No, just Silvertone. Like Silverfish, but a, a lovely jazz singer that's nothing like a Silverfish. Silvertone. Don't tweet it at me if you can, just say... Uh, here's a picture of, of Jessica Alba and uh, Bette Midler together. Well, then, then they'd be tweeting at me. Just, and, and then put Silvertone, just pound it, Silvertone, pound, hashtag, whatever the hell you want to call that thing, Silvertone. And then once we get this going, I'll start searching, or maybe I'll throw one in every once in a while for practice. But that's it, guys, hashtag that, Silvertone, and... Uh, you know, that, that way the silver tone is like Fanoni Frone, Robin Arone, like Tony, Tony, Tone, not like the Rustoleum groan of Dearest Scooter when he's on the phone. You know, we want to hear the dulcet crone, cr- I mean, I mean crooning, but that doesn't rhyme with crone. And you can't say tones twice, you know, you can't say the dulcet tones of the silver tone. So, you know, come me some slight gads. All right, silver tone, pound silver tone. If you want to, you know, we'll, we'll work on that idea. All right, gads, thanks. All right, guys, I'm using my my low voice again. And we're talking unbowed, unbent, unbroken. What what an episode. I mean, it's too bad I have a cold, so I can't say. Uh, what an episode. But this was an amazing episode. Lots to talk about here, but it opens with washing. 
Another body being washed in the old house of black and white. It looks like we say, well, Arya's doing the washing. But there's an incredible attention to detail. Incredible focus. Clipping the nails. Washing the hair. If you pay attention to the washing the hair scene, it'll be a callback to it later, maybe. And then the body gets shrouded. I believe it's shrouded, covered in a shroud. And the men come in, they take a body. And it looks like they do the old open door test where they leave the door to the secret chamber slightly ajar. Nari is uh, staring at it, and she's thinking about it. And then she's surprised by someone, uh, uh, the uh, girl with the bow arms, I think, who says, get back to work. And Arya's a little, uh, I can't read my own writing, does that say obstinate? There's also some nice light streaming in from an upper window, giving some nice atmosphere to the scene. And then a, a girl tells a story, a, a girl tells a fairy tale to Arya, or is it true? She says, what are you doing here, Arya says that. She says, I'm from Westeros, just like you, daughter of Lord, just like you. Except I was an only child. You know, heir to a fortune, I lost my mother. My father remarried. His new wife gave birth to a girl. And the stepmother, you know, the old stepmother problem. And she took, called on the faceless men. And her father, you know, was without wife once again. And she says, I've been serving them my whole life. And Arya says, oh, I've got a friend now. And then she says, truth or lie. And Arya says, I'm sorry. And she says, uh, did you believe me or not? And then she says, get back to work. And then Arya's asleep and we hear Jacquin's voice. He says, who are you? And he's there. He's got a cool lantern. He gives her a little lie test or a truth test. I couldn't tell. But uh, Sandor Clegane, the hound, has his revenge because she says, oh, I hated him. He's like, that's a lie. That's a big lie. You know, even the lies you buy, what does he say? He says, you're, you're even lying to yourself about the hound. You, 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 you hated and liked him. He didn't say that. But he says, does a girl truly want to be no one? And she says, yeah. And then she says, you know what? I, I'm not playing this game anymore. And he says, we never stop playing. And then we have... uh Tyrion and Jorah at the river. Tyrion's complaining. We're going on a serious complaint tirade about their journey, about Jorah as a traveling companion, about, you know, eating berries and twigs or whatever. But it's time for Jorah to learn some truths that have been going on where he was around some unhappy truths. And Tyrion's like, what do you think I was doing in a brothel in Volantis? He goes, I took my father out. You know, he he, uh, he tried to frame me for a crime I didn't commit, had me executed, stole my girl. So I took him out. I'm on the run. And he goes, you're, you're, you know, you're first, have you for having such a good father, our miserable human being. May your father rest in peace. As they were saying, the watch will never see his like again. And then Jorah, he... They had him, uh, and they had this wide shot of Jorah. His face was clenched, and then as he hears the words, and they sink in his father's passing. There's a little wind. He he looks to the side of the screen as it sinks in, 
And then he says, how? And then Tyrion starts to talk about how he heard about the mutiny. He had a close-up shot of Jorah's face with the water. As he as he sinks in, uh, you know, the emotion hits him. And he says, how, how, tell me more. He says, he got it in the back. And you can see the pain in his face of, uh, you know, so many things. It's a beautiful, beautiful scene. He says, all right, we got to keep moving. Let's go. And the next scene, Arya's cleaning the floor. And a man brings in a sick girl, his sick daughter. As a question, there's a guy with, a guy with a bowed head facing the wall in the back. I got to figure out what God that was. But the father's desperate. He's broke. He's tried everything to save his daughter. Now he just wants help to, to ease her suffering. So Arya goes to the fountain, goes to the girl who's on the side of the fountain. She gives her a caring look, and then Arya gives her a little tale. She says, don't be afraid. I, I was like you. I was sick. I was dying. But my father never gave up on me. He loved me just, just more than anything in the world, just like your father loves you. And he brought me here, prayed to the many-faced gods, and I drank this water, and it healed me. And then Arya fills the, the water up and gives it to the girl to drink. Nari says, I've devoted my life to the many-faced God. Drink this. In the background, you can see both the father and Jacqueline watching Arya. We're back in the prep room, and Arya's, Arya's in there taking care of the young girl. Jacqueline's standing at the door. He's got that old Jacqueline mysterious thing going. And he does the old, uh, you know, leaves the door more than partway open. Yeah, but he gives like, a, did he give a direct command or a hint? And he goes through the door, Arya follows. So they go down the stairs, there's this wonderful, wonderful music. Fires, moving things in other passages. There's mystery, so much mystery. And then they go into this room which can only be described as uh, something wonderfully creative, wonderfully interesting, filled with, 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 oh, okay, this makes sense. Well, they, you know, uh, filled with what we'll say are disguises for the many-faced men and women. And there is this music. It went from wonderful to amazing uh, interstellar level music, uh, organs. Oh man, it was great. And Arya walks through it in amazement, looking around. Jacqueline watches her and he says, Is a girl ready to give up her ears, her nose, her tongue, her hopes and her dreams, her loves and her hates? All that makes a girl who she is forever? And he says, He answers it for no. A surprising answer, one of many, many surprises this episode. And he says, something I would have never expected. A girl is not ready to become no one, but she is ready to become someone else. And this is the magic of Game of Thrones. Not only the magic of creating a space like this and playing with music and lighting and acting by a wonderful actress and a wonderful actor and writing... 
but uh, to just uh, a sleight of hand or to say, oh, I've been thinking Arya's taking one test this whole time to become a faceless person with no past and no future, but that wasn't the test at all. Uh, and it, 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 way more interesting than what I just said. As it unfolded on the screen, wonderful, wonderful stuff. And then we have Jorah and Tyrion walking through the coastal scrub, working away cross-country, talking man-to-man. He says, Tyrion's like, what is this? Is this Daenerys worth all this? Because I thought you, you guys were against the Targaryens. And Jorah says, do you believe in anything? And Tyrion says, well, you know, what do you mean? He goes, you know, I mean in something big, like a god or a gods or something. A plan. And Tyrion's like, nope. And Jorah's like, you know, would you believe I'm a cynic or I used to be a cynic? And Tyrion's like, you're kidding me, you? And he goes, and then I saw this girl go into a fire. I should have consumed her and she, she was there. Well, she went in with the dragon eggs. And after the fire went out, she was there with baby dragons. And Tyrion's like, well, that's pretty impressive. And he goes, have you ever heard baby dragons sing? And Tyrion's like, no, he doesn't even have a smart aleck comment for it. And Jorah says, well, it's hard to be a cynic after that. And they talk about, like, what would the future be for the Khaleesi as a leader of Westeros? Or what does Jorah want? What does the Khaleesi want? And they're like, oh boy, is that a ship? And Jorah's like, get down, it's a slave ship. They're probably on the shore looking for water, and then they, they're surrounded. And then the, the uh, uh, these guys are really beating on Jorah, uh, trying to take the fight out of him. And they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll take this Jorah, this character, you know, take out the dwarf. And then they're like, well, and this is going to be, you know, R-level language. You know, but you guys know that. He says, well, cut off his cock first. You know, dwarf cocks have magic powers. Again, the dwarf pejoratives this season in these, uh, are these eastern lands or western lands? Westeros is west, so this would be east of Westeros, I guess. Across the narrow sea, we'll say. He's here and say, whoa, 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 whoa. He goes, uh, you're going to need proof. Uh, he's like, you're going to need proof, so you should sell my cock, you know, with me attached to it, alive. And, and you know, and they're like, okay, well, wouldn't it be? It's pretty funny. They say, well, it would be a dwarf-sized cock. He goes, guess again. Hilarious if you watch it. And then the bad uh, guy tops it. He says, well, the dwarf will live until we find a cock merchant. And then they 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 work as a team a little bit, Tyrion and Jorah, because they're like, oh, wait, uh, you know, uh, fighting pits are reopened. Jorah kind of can kick some ass. And they're like, well, uh, kick some ass and jousting, that's weak. And then, to, and then Jorah actually plays it. You know, usually these are all f- always funny scenes, but Jorah finally is like, yeah, I, I beat a, uh, uh, what a Kalasar blood rider from Cal Drogo's Kalasar. So, yeah, I, I can kick some ass. You know, I'll win you some money. You, you let me live. I'll make you a rich guy. And they said, okay, well, okay, let's let's do this. And then we see Baelish among the common people of the King's Landing. 
And you get surprised by the, uh, what are these guys called, the, the sparrows or the, the bird, bird, bird food? I can't remember, honestly. There's the head spar- uh, high sparrow. But it'll come to me. But he, he says, hey, Lancel, what's up? He says, it's brother Lancel now. You know, we abandon our family names. Bailey's just like, actually probably jealous. He's like, that's a, quite a name to abandon. I got no name. He goes, hey, we, we took, you know, we're, we're uh, holy folks. We're, you know, we're, we're, we got no tolerance for people like you. And Baelish burns him. He goes, uh, we both peddle fantasies, Brother Lancel. Mine just happened to be entertaining. Now, I want to pause the discussion right here for a minute and point out that one, and I didn't say anything about the title, Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken. You know, why don't you think about what's happened so far this episode? And then if if you didn't know any spoilers like I did, like how wonderfully surprising this episode was. I mean, there were some not wonderful surprises too. But I want to also think about the truth as far as the fictional characters are, are telling it here because there's been scene after scene of uh, bending of the truth or breaking the truth, you know, in big ways and small ways. And then Baelish even takes the time to point out, hey, we're both selling these stories here, Lancel, Brother Lancel. And it carries on through the rest of the episode. And in some sense, that's what people that are highly skilled storytellers or like the Game of Thrones, they're try- or at least for me, my experience is, okay, they're leading me this way. Like, okay, well, I know I shouldn't root for this person, or I, I shouldn't care about this person too much, but I think this person's safe. And, well, maybe I'll root for this person, or I'll root against this person. And, yeah, this would be obvious, so they won't do that, but they'll probably do this. But meanwhile, like, great magicians, they're, they're doing some sort of distraction or whatever, misdirection. And then as they start to... Uh, pull rabbits out of their hats or make things disappear. You say, whoa, boy, how the hell did you do that? I did not see that coming. Or at least that's how I felt this episode. And, and uh, I said, oh, boy, wow. And then you're like, wait, wait what's going to be your next trick? Holy mackerel. But, but to see it also in such a rich way where not only do we not go know what's going on, but none of the characters do, and they're trying to advance their own agendas. By deceiving the other, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's. I love lying when it comes to Game of Thrones, and and the lying of fiction when it's done well. So lie to me, baby. I promise, I'll believe. Lie to me. I promise, I'll believe. I don't know any of the rest of that song though. I said, oh, Tyrion is on a boat. Dragons overhead, what do you know? Yeah, lie to me. I promise I'll watch this week. Okay. And our, our next scene is another scene for the ages uh, with Baelish and Cersei. Oh boy, if I thought I fell out of love with Cersei and uh, I was going to have trouble getting over uh, Grey Worm and Missandre's, uh 
you know, true love. I don't think I will because the level of uh, beauty, fine, uh, uh, being a fine actress, and just something about the hair. I said, I want to use those curls. I'd like to, uh, oh, man, am I in a dream? Am I spiraling around in those curls? In that furrowing of that brow, why does that make my... As Tommen would say, what are my hips doing with that furrow in the brow? I mean, I mean that in a literal sense. That's, that's no. Uh, wash your mind out. Uh, but there's so much going on in the background. There's a giant lion sigil. Yeah, there's Cersei's wine. And there's kind of like a little couple acts in this little scene. And there's, of course, a question always of, you know, lies and grifts. Who's grifting who? Who has the upper hand? We don't know. And what 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 do these people really want? I mean, it's like okay, have a general. Well, I mean, with Cersei especially, it's like okay, uh, Baelish is almost trying to get to it, and she's playing like uh, either she's running for Congress or she's a lawyer. He's like, hey, what the hell are you doing? Arresting uh, uh, the heir to Highgarden? She's like, oh no, no, the Faith did that. And he's like, you armed him? Oh, no, the king did. And she says, is the king to blame for all this? And, and Baelish is like, you know, this kind of stuff goes on. All, you know, this is a natural thing. And he goes, the Tyrells aren't going to uh, tolerate it. And he, and he says, you know, one's choice of companion is a curious thing. And then Cersei says, most curious. And Cersei says, most curious. Uh, Lady Aaron, for instance... You know, that's a repellent woman. Sorry, I know you're down. You loved her so much. And Baelish like, she was a good woman, a kind woman. And they go back and forth about that. And she's like, "Is he? are you going to aid us if uh, something happens in the Vale? And he says, well, Lord Robin heeds my advice. He'll be loyal to the f- throne. Uh, which makes me wonder if uh, Baelish was ex- expendable up till that point. But then the scene moves into this other stage. She says, okay, if there's nothing else, I'm done with you, Baelish. He says, there is another matter, your grace. Something so urgent I couldn't trust the words to a raven. You once charged me to find Arya Stark. But I failed you. But I found Sansa. Alive and home. Well, living at Winterfell. And the look on Cersei's face is like... uh, Amazing, amazing. And she says, that's not possible. He says, my sources are well-placed. That's, oh, my God, I I wish I was a fly on the wall then. And he says, as a matter of fact, she's going to marry Ramsay Bolton. They'll be the wardens of the north. And she says, those bro- Boltons. And she's like, I'm going to take every Bolton out. And he says, patience, your grace. She says, patience. You know, I want Sansa. I want Roos Bolton. And Baelish says, well, they're going to fight up there, Stannis and Roos. Why don't we kick back? Let them take each other out. You know, it's far away. And then we'll send your Uncle Kevin in. She's like, oh, me and Kevin got in a fight. And he goes, oh, we'll send Sir Jamie in. She says, oh, Sir Jamie's on a secret diplomatic mission. Don't know when he's going to be back. And he's like, well, I could help. I got the Vale Knights ready. They're good at fighting in winter. I got. I bought them some new mittens, war mittens. 
And she, Cersei says this, uh, if you can rewatch just this one part, the way she says it, she says, forgive me, Lord Baelish, but you have a reputation as a moneylender and a brothel keeper, not a military man. She doesn't say it like that, but she says it in this very tight way. It was, oh, it was wonderful. And he's like, just make me warden of the north and I'll do it. And she's like, I'll speak to the king this evening. And he says, I won't rest till the lion flies over Winterfell. And she's like, I'd like Sansa Stark's head, please. And Bailey says, I live to serve. And then we have Macella and uh, Tristan in the water gardens in love. Dude's got a giant thumb rake and it looks like a industrial washer. But, you know, they're going back and forth flirting. It turns out Macella's got a bit of a hu- sense of humor, which was funny. And he, he seems like a nice enough guy. They just seem like two kids in the garden. And then we have Dor- 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 Doran, 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 watching them with their his uh, his sidekick. He's like, yeah, they're a dangerous, a lovely but dangerous couple. A Martell and a Lannister. You know, the world wouldn't like that. We have to protect them. And he says, don't worry, my prince. And he says, you haven't used that axe in a long time. You're still a badass? He says, oh, I'm a badass. And uh, then we hear Bronn singing. Possibly the highlight of the season for me. He says, the Dornishman's wife was as fair as the sun, and her kisses were warmer than spring. The Dornishman's blade was made of black steel, and its kiss was a terrible thing. The Dornishman's wife would sing as she bathed in a voice that was sweet as peach. And then Jamie's like, dude, shut the hell up. And he's like, I'm coming to the best part. And then we don't get the best part. He says, we're trying to blend in, you idiot. He says, we don't want everyone in Dorne to hear you singing. And he says, the song is really about the ending. So I don't know if that was a hint or a cookie or a brownie or whatever they call it, a bunny. What do they call those things when I added a cookie? A cookie, no. I can't remember. I'll think of it. Easter egg. Bunny, that was the closest when I said bunny. And then we have an, a shot of the water gardens, and I didn't have a chance to pause it on that one. But again, these sh- these wide shots this season are, have been amazing. And then Brian's like, by the way, what the hell are we going to do? Jamie's like, I'll figure it out. I've, uh, you know, I'm very handsome, not intelligent. And then Brian's like, oh, I, I, fig- I figured that out. That's a solid gold hand. I think that's what he says or something. I said, oh, brilliant. Fake, you know, fake, fake hand. The old double fake hand, you know, wrapped in tinfoil. Oh, tinfoil hand, not solid gold at all. Just you know, tinfoil, surgically attached so you can't take it. And then I think these young women are called the sand snakes, but I'm not positive on that. But these young women in uh, Elia, 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 Elia. Uh, they say un, uh, this is unbowed, unbent, unbroken. For Oberyn. They say for Oberyn. And then they break out of there. And then we got Bran oogling uh, Tristan and Missella making out. And Jamie's like, hey, w- hey buddy, uh, hands off uh, the young woman. Uh, leave room for the whole, the, crone, the spirit of the crone. And she says, Uncle Jamie? And he says, oh, well, good, you're not confused about that. 
And she says, what are you doing here? He said, well, I got here just in time, clearly. And he says, we got to talk. And he says, hey, I'm a handsome young man. You're a handsome older man. Well, we, we should get along. And my Michelle's like, this is my future husband. And Jamie's like, good to meet you. He's like, yeah, let's go down. Let's get something to eat. We didn't know you'd be here. And then Brian's like, hey, buddy, he's going to have to give her a speech about uh, guys like you and me. So let's leave them alone. And then Tristan sees the blood on Bron's uniform. Goes for his sword. Bron knocks him out. Then the sand snakes come. And we have this awesome, awesome battle scene. Uh, like, holy black eyeliner. It was great. And yet, uh, mostly great watching Bron. He's fighting two of the sisters. Jamie's fighting the other one. At one point, I like Bron, uh, like, stepped on the whip and he did this little, uh, Perry type move. I, I thought that was cool. But then they all get arrested by uh, Doran's people. And Brian's still running his mouth. And Jamie's, uh, the guy's like, the, the Doran's first in charge. is like, yeah, I would have liked to fight you when you had both hands, but not anymore. And then they arrest Elia. And it felt like a little bit of political intrigue in some sense. Because she was hiding in the shadows, conducting this thing like a covert ops. And, uh, you know, spoil, a little spoiler alert. Uh, if you, for some reason, are listening to this and watching the scenes, uh, these next couple scenes, we get led, I guess, into the heart. Of, I wouldn't say the heart of darkness. I would say it, it seems like it's constantly the jobs of the creators of Game of Thrones to say, hey, this isn't our world. This is Westeros. Uh, so don't try to bring your rules of behavior here. Because uh, you'll, re you know, if you, if you try to, just as Cersei says, you know, you, 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 Game of Thrones, you, you win or, or, or you, you win or you die, I think she said, or something like that. Uh, something. That, that's the rules of the game. There, it says cutthroat as cutthroat is. And uh, so we, get, we, we, we really start to learn what people are. Uh, and, and I would say, you know, oh, we're going into the heart of villainy. But particularly with Cersei's next scene, it'd say, well, well, she doesn't think she's a villain, clearly. And it, is it villain? You know, I, I can't say, say it's a villain to me, but, well, then I want to kiss and say, oh, yeah. And then, you know, then be villainized, probably. Like, yeah, you out of my submarine. Uh, he's off with uh, the guy that looks like he's from... Uh, I told him, I thought they cut your tongue out, Podman. You know, I'm Tommen's best friend. That won't do you any good. Well, if I could just, you know, I just want to, you know, what, what do you mean? I mean is that Lancel does not look that much better than me or, you know, more. She said, ah. So, um, sorry, that was like a journey into my world of, a uh, journey into my heart of lo low self-esteem. Uh, but then we have this scene with a little trial. Oh, no, first we have a shot of King's Landing. The cart's going in King's Landing. Only Anna's on it. Another beautiful, beautiful shot. Wide shot of King's Landing. She says, hey, you can smell a horseshit from here. And then we have Oleana and Marjorie. She says, don't worry, this is just a, a show. I'll take care of it. 
And she says, I'll deal with Cersei Lannister. Now, meanwhile, I don't even know if she knows that uh, Sir Marin's hanging with her uh, son. But Cersei does the uh, Tywin where she's pretending to ignore her guest and writing. But we knew when Tywin was writing, it was bad news. So it's like, is Cersei writing anything? And then Oleana's like, I know you're not writing anything. And she says, oh, the tart tongue Queen of Thorns. And she says, oh, the famous tart Cersei. And Cersei's like, what did you call me? And she's like, you better let my son, my grandson out. And she's like, I'm not doing anything. And she's like, I want an apology. She's like, when I get Loras, you'll have an apology. And she's like, I'm shocked here, too. And she's like, well, you know, I'm going to get rid of our alliance then. And Cersei's like, oh, no. Uh, don't worry about that. It's just, uh, I didn't do anything. And she's like, don't, don't veil threat me. And she's like, what veiled threats? She's like, let's keep the peace here. And she's like, you don't want to start a war over this. And she's like, I didn't trust your father or like him. But I respected him. He was no fool. You're a fool. You know, because he understood you have to work with your rivals sometimes. You can't destroy everyone. And Cersei says, House Lannister has no rival. That was like a head cheerleader. Uh, I think she wants, uh, maybe, uh, yeah. Maybe I'm revisiting some childhood trauma with this. And she says, it's not a trial, just a formality. It'll be fine. And she says, good day. And then we have the trial starts. And I started to wonder if maybe I had this high sparrow wrong. Because I was like, is this guy serious with this shit? Because I thought he was, like, for helping the poor. Like, how can you be helping the poor? I was totally like, what the fuck? I mean, seriously... Like, I hope he's... Because I said, who the hell do you think you are? You shoe... In my... Where I come from, if you don't wear shoes, you get... You shoot, you know... Well, we don't have any... Yeah, you can't come in a restaurant, scumbag. So, there. You can't be in a castle without shoes. So, get that. Who cares what people are doing in their bedrooms? The doors are closed. You're in a public place with no shoes on. And your chest hair is getting everywhere. It's getting in my bowl of rich people's stuff. So I don't know. I thought this guy was playing Cersei, but now I'm starting to... I'm like, man, this guy might be an actual true believer in this stuff. This anti-everything. Uh, and he's like, who? who he's like, man. And, the, and this one just comes with this. He calls Loris. Loris is like, this is ridiculous. This is none of your business. Leave me alone. Then they call... Marjorie, it's like, what? And then Tommen, oh boy. Oh, Tommen, man, what a letdown. And Marjorie's like, I don't know, this is none of your business. I don't know what you're talking about. Leave us alone. And then they call in Oliver. Clearly, they, you know, they got that guy. There's nothing he can do because they had him locked up. They have him probably dead to rights. His only ally would be Baelish, so that's no good, you know. So, you know, Oliver spills the beans. They lock him up. They say, all right, take uh, Loras away and take away the queen. She she uh, blasphemed or something in front of the gods. Tommen doesn't do anything. Hey, man, what a weak ass. And they take Marjorie. I couldn't believe this. It was uh, totally surprising. <laughs> in, in, I mean, in a good, terribly good way. Terrible, but good way. I mean, I guess because the stakes are now higher than they've ever been. 
And then you see Oleana's look at the end. And there's something in her eyes. And I forgot, the last scene ended when she when Cersei sends Oleana out. She says, uh, good day, Lady Oleana. And she folds her hands. I was like, that's from Willy Wonka. And she says, I said good day. When Charlie returns, first Willy Wonka, when Charlie returns the gobstopper. And then our next scene is Sansa, and she's looking in the mirror. She's either thinking or she's worrying. And then Crazy Town comes in, and she's like, hey, I'm going to wash your hair and bathe you. You know, I'm the one that, uh, you know, made you uh, find Theon and, you know, touched your stitches and stuff. And she washes uh, Sansa's hair, and it washes the color out. It reminded me of when Ari was washing the hair. And she's warning her about Ramsay, how jealous he gets, and how quick he'll forget about Sansa. And Sansa gives her the old school Stark. She says, what's your name again? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm too important to remember your name. I'm Sansa Stark. This is my home. You can't scare me here. Go on. Be, be gone with you. I'll finish on my own. Which was nice, but then it's like Sansa's just super. She was, she was still a little scared. And then we have Sansa, and she's in this wintry dress, and Theon comes in. He's like, yeah, I'm supposed to escort you. And he goes, you have to take your arm, you know, you have to take my arm. She's like, I'm not taking your arm. And he's like, yeah, but he'll get, he'll hurt me. And she's like, I don't care what he does to you. And I was like, oh, boy. But then we have all these candles and lanterns lighting this path. We got snowfall. We have, uh, I think, our first northern wedding. I mean, Rob and Talissa, but that wasn't, that was like an unofficial wedding. You got moonlight, you got the God's Wood, you got the... The heart tree, I think they call it, or the face tree. And then you have Roos's voice. And, you know, Roos says, who comes before the old gods this night? And the answer says, of the house, star comes to be wed. A woman grown, true-born and noble. To beg the blessings of the god, who comes to claim her? Ramsay says, hey, I'm Ramsay of House Bolton, heir to Dreadfort and Winterfell. Who gives her? This was interesting. Theon says, Theon of House Greyjoy, who was, who was her father's ward. Lady Sansa, will you take this man? I take this man. And then we just have another scene where uh, we, we go further into the darkest nights of the north, hoping the Savior's going to come, just like, you know, and hoping that Theon, hoping against hope, uh, but, but it, it's not good. And uh, you, you, see, you say, okay, we're, we're, we're in the darkest part of the night here. Here in the north, down there. And it's say, well, probably things could get worse down in the Red Keep. But I don't know about here in the north. Uh, well, maybe, I don't know. So not an uplifting episode, but actually terribly wrenching episode. But, uh, yeah. Intense, intense stuff, but, you, you know, that's the some story. Hey, I don't know what to say. It, it, it was, uh, but just remember, we're, we're, we're uh, this, is, this is a place of uh, uh, scheming, cunning, and brutal people. Uh, and, and they're capable of, uh, I guess, things uh, beyond our imagination. Sometimes.
So that that was uh, unbowed on Brent. On, so that was unbowed on Brent. On, <laughs> so that was unbowed, unbent, unbroken. So I'm going to start tonight out with uh, some verse. Well, I was born an original sinner. I was born from original sin. And if I had a dollar bill for all the things I've done, there'd be a mountain of money piled up to my chin. My mother told me good. My mother told me strong. She said, be true to yourself and you can't go wrong. But there's one thing that you must understand. You can fool with your brother, but don't mess with a missionary man. Don't mess with a missionary man. Don't mess with a missionary man. Well, the missionary man, he's got God on his side. He's got saints and apostles backing up from behind. Black-eyed looks from those Bible books. He's a man with a mission, got a serious mind. There was a woman in a jungle and a monkey in a tree. The missionary man, he was following me. He said, stop what you're doing. Get down upon your knees. We've got a message for you that you better believe. And don't mess with a missionary man. Don't mess with a missionary man. And those are the lyrics from the song Missionary Man by the Eurythmics. And there was two reasons I thought of the song. I can only remember one right now, so I might go in the other room and check my notes if I don't remember. But one was obviously this whole, this, this zealot religion we had. And the zeal of our uh, high sparrow and Circe's uh, turning of his screws, or possibly. So that's one thing. But then the other thing was something unrelated where it was like, uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll figure it out. But as I said, Missionary Man was a song by a British pop duo, Eurythmics. It was off their sixth album. This is from Wikipedia Revenge. And continues the band's rock R&B musical style of the time. It featured Jimmy Zavala on harmonica. In the band's native UK, it was the fourth album to be taken from the album. It peaked at number 31. It was more successful in the United States, where it was the first signal, single to be taken from the album and peaked at 14 on the Billboard Hot 100, becoming their last uh, top 20 U.S. hit to date. It also made the top 10 of Billboard Hot Dance Club play chart. It received ex extensive airplay on American Rock Radio. Reached number one on the Billboard Mainstream Rock tracks. Eurythmics only song to top this chart. It was also a top ten hit in Australia. And Missionary Man earned the Eurythmics a, a Grammy Award for Best Rock Vocal Performance as a Group. Uh, the video was directed by Willie Smacks. It featured stop-motion technique similar to Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer video from earlier in 1986, and it was nominated for the Best Video at the MTV Music Awards. Oh, this is sweet. Cover. There's a cover version by a Swedish doom metal band, Left Hand Solution, and acapella choir, Artists in Resonance, from the University of California, recorded it for their album On Air. And, uh, you know, when we think about, when I think about the Eurythmics, I just think about Andy Lennox, and I say, I don't know anything else about them. So let's look it up. They're a British duo consisting of Andy Lennox and David A. Stewart. They were both previously in the band The Tourist, also known as The Catch, 
that split up in 1980, and they formed a band later that year. They released their first album in the garden to a little fanfare, but went on to achieve success with their second album, Sweet Dreams Are Made of This, but went on to achieve success with their second album, Sweet Dreams Are Made of This, in 83. Uh, the duo went on to release a string of hit singles and albums before they hit, split up in 1990. By this time, Stewart was a sought-after record producer, and Lennox began a solo career with her debut album, Diva, in 92. After almost a decade apart, Rhythmics reunited to record their ninth album, Peace, in 1999, reunited again in 2005 to release the single, I've Got a Life, as part of a, a Rhythmics Ultimate Collection. They won an MTV Video Award for Best New Artist in 84, the Grammy we talked about, a Brit Award in 99 and in 2005 were inducted in the UK Music Hall of Fame and they sold 70 million 75 million records worldwide just a little bit about the Eurythmics all right next up is Heavy Water and I don't know something about the well or the water in the middle of the house of black and white that mysterious water that uh, causes you to go to the big sleep, go visit the uh, the faceless God. Is that who they pray to there? I said. I said to myself, "Is that heavy water in there?" And then I said, "What the heck is heavy water? I better look that up." Is it? You know, let's find out. And believe it or not, someone all the way back in uh, December of two thousand three asked the Straight Dope dot com. Hey, dear straight dope, what's the deal with the heavy water? Is it harmful to people? And how or what way? I know it's used in nuclear reactors and uh, the politics of that make it hard to find out stuff about it. That's from uh, Larry in Shelby Township, Mi- Michigan. And the answer, according to QED, is uh, heavy water D2O is one of several only commonly found moderators used in nuclear reactors. Others include graphite, beryllium, and uh, light water. Moderator slows down fast-moving neutrons released by nuclear fission, so they have more time to react with the fuel. And this permits a sustained controlled chain reaction using the uranium. Reactors using unenriched uranium, but reactors using enriched uranium don't require a moderator. Heavily, heavy water is chemically identical to ordinary water we know and love. The difference is heavy water has an extra hydrogen isotope. Uh, heavy water has a hydrogen isotope that has a neutron in addition to a proton in its nucleus. And it's called uh, deuterium. It occurs at about the rate of one deuterium atom for every 6,700 normal hydrogen, or protium atoms, which just have one proton and no neutrons. Deuterium is not radioactive, unlike the even heavier and rarer hydrogen isotope tritium, which is made primarily in nuclear reactors, and has two neutrons in the nucleus. Tritium, which has a half-life of about 12 and a half years, usually used in luminescent paints for watches, and things like that, if you're organizing them, you know, don't get them mixed up. There are physical differences in light and heavy water. Heavy water is heavier. It has a density of 1.10 grams per cubic centimeter. 
heavy water ice will actually sink in light liquid water. The freezing and boiling points are also elevated somewhat with heavy water freezing at 3.81 Celsius, 38.86 Fahrenheit, and boiling at 101.42 Celsius and 214.56 degrees Fahrenheit at standard pressure. Despite the fact that light water and heavy water are chemically identical, heavy water is mildly toxic. How can this be? Since it's heavier than normal water, the speed of chemical reactions evolving it has altered somewhat, as is the strength of some of the bonds it forms. Uh, this affects certain cellular processes, notably, normal, notably mitosis or cell division due to the difference in binding energy in the hydrogen bombs needed to make certain proteins. Mouse studies have shown that drinking only heavy water could cause a degeneration of tissues that need to replenish themselves frequently, lead to cumulative damage from injuries that don't heal as quick, quickly. One study likens the effect to those uh, suffered by chemotherapy patients. Heavy water toxicity manifests itself in when about 50% of the water in the body is heavy water. But don't get any funny ideas about using heavy water as an untraceable uh, weapon Given its role in breeder reactors for and for producing weapon-grade plutonium, production and distri distribution of heavy water is closely monitored and controlled. Obtaining a significant am amount of it is impossible for the average Joe. It's also expensive. One estimate puts it at about $300 per kilogram, and that was in 2009, 2003. So that's one thing about heavy water. And, of course, I'll throw the uh, Wikipedia article in there, too. But when I said, wasn't there a G.I. Joe episode with heavy water? Or, why was, That's when I was thinking of, when I was thinking of the heavy water. And I was like, was it in some undersea temple? A G.I. Joe cartoon, not some movies. So I said, let me look that up. And believe it or not, I googled G.I. Joe heavy water, and multiple articles came up, multiple wikias. And I found the episode I was talking about. It's called The Worms of Death. Uh, the Joes engage in an intense underwater fight with Cobra and something else. Also, the fate of Snake Eyes is revealed. Uh, detailed summary. A Cobra Commander goes on another role, blackmailing the world. Oh, this is from the uh, G.I. Joe wiki. Uh, while the Commander enjoys the high of a moment, Destro is distressed at the dwindling supply of... Uh, M-A-S-S's Catalytic Elements. I think that's some super weapon they were working on. I think this is a mini-series. If they don't find a way to punish it, they couldn't uh, threaten countries they were blackmailing. Baroness says, yeah, we'll bluff it. Uh, but then uh, in the Arctic, Major Blood, with a U, sends a robot into a cave, it repairs an android... Which starts to look for red crystals in the cave. Snake Eyes avoids the objects, takes the container of crystals with him. The cobras are surprised to find anyone in the cave. As he is reeking of uh, radiation, everyone stays away from Snake Eyes. And Colonel Blood lets him get away. Elsewhere, Doc and Duke make another attempt to try to remember where Cobra's base is. Duke must have some sort of memory loss. All you can remember is Selena. Uh, Steeler shows up, with, and they go upside and meet with Breaker. They talk to Torpedo. 
about going underwater. Snake Eyes trudges away across the snow. He rescues a wolf. And then that becomes his sidekick. And it would, would, I think the wolf came with the toy. And then he's tired from fatigue and radiation sickness. Chased by a bear. And then a blind man saves them. Yeah, but Blood got some of the, you know, red crystals. So Destro's happy about that. And then they make their way to the bottom of this ocean trench in G.I. Joe's with that, you know, torpedo guy. And they see these strange pillars and they're trying to get to some heavy water that they need as part of a plan. But Cobra shows up at the same time with the Baroness and they fight. And then the ends of the strange pillars are uh, the homes from giant tube worms. The worms wake up from the battle and they go after everybody. Torpedo calls the Baroness and says, hey, let's make a truce and work together. First, Baroness says no, but then she's like, well, let's do it. And then Duke says, hey, let's shoot the bottom of the pillars and the worms will float away. And afterwards, both groups take their share of the uh, heavy water. Uh, the Baroness, you know, tries to go back on the deal and tries to get them to surrender. And then the Joe's backup shows up, everybody escapes. Then back in the sea of ice... The uh, blind hermit uh, saves Snake Eyes, realizes he's a good guy. They name the wolf Timber, and Snake Eyes, he points Snake Eyes towards civilization. Uh, with the G.I. Joes, they still need two elements. Short Fuse and Steeler decide to, to sabotage Cobra's mass. That must be their weapon. And they send up a satellite to destroy a Cobra's satellite. So Cobra hears about it by alarm using the last of their mass, current mass elements. Destro teleports some troops to space to stop the satellite. So the G.I. Joe's plan fails. But then Coverback Girl comes back to base with none other than Snake Eyes, who's got the red crystals. Everyone's happy, especially Scarlet. Then the G.I. Joe's are even but then they don't know that the canister has a sleeping gas. Everyone goes unconscious, and the episode ends. Uh, so go, Joe. So that's just a little bit about heavy water and what you know what it made me think of. So one thing that was amazing to me was the music in the House of Black and White scenes in this episode. Particularly, they had the I think it was the strings as Arya went through the door following Jacquin, Jacquin down the stairs. And it was this building, haunting music, but, but wonderfully atmospheric. And then when she entered this amazing, amazing room, huge room with huge implications, this uh, organ music began to build. It reminded me of the movie Interstellar, and I said, well, geez, that's Hans Zimmer, who I have a strange, you know, not only did I love that movie, I love the music in that movie, I love organs. And I also had a character named Hans Zimmer Gorbelly, and I was like, geez, how much time is this guy spending in my subconscious? And then I named a character after him, so I looked up some stuff about, uh, I looked some stuff on, you know, up in, about him in the past, but this came up about him, and I said, well, what about him and Christopher Nolan? What can I find out? And this is over at Grantland. 
Hollywood Prospectus by Matt Patches, November 7, 2014. Brothers in Brong. How Hans Zimmer and Christopher Nolan made the boldest, make the boldest scores in Hollywood. And I'll be quoting and paraphrasing from this article by Matt Patches. Uh, there was in a, a movie when Christopher Nolan asked composer, uh, oh, he, so Christopher Nolan asked Hans Zimmer before there was even a movie to make the music for Interstellar. Before he could make the movie, he had to hear it. He had to understand his lines, the dialogue, and the visible, in, invisible proxy that would bellow as uh, Matthew McConaughey confronted mortality at the farthest reaches of the universe. Though some uh, audiences wonder which character is the director's proxy. It's Zimmer's commanding spore, scores that speak his voice, show his hand, and make his case. Uh, more than a year before they began filming, Nolan sent Zimmerman a letter. Inside it was a typewritten note, typewritten note, a melancholy fable about a father and his son. And Nolan said, hey, take 24 hours to react to this story with music. And Zimmer said he had a son, so Chris knew how to press, press the right buttons. Zimmer wrote what he describes as an intimate musical love letter to his son. He uh, finished around 9 o'clock and called uh, Nolan to see if he could send over the music. Nolan declined. He, he wanted to drive over and hear it in person. So he sat on the couch and Zimmer played it for him. And Zimmer said he paused for a second and said, I better make that movie now. Rarely do directors find a mu uh, composer whose music transcends an accompaniment to become something more. Like the director's musical hand at play, it was not manipulation. Yeah, he says some more big, a bunch of big words that I can't understand or pronounce. But he talks about uh, the, the author talks about his relationship with uh, Spielberg and Williams, Hitchcock, and Hermans, Adermans, uh, Paranoia, Blake Edwards and Henry Mancini, Tim Burton and Danny Elfman. But alone, uh, Zimmerman and Nolan, uh, alone, Zimmer and Nolan ask the same questions and seek the same answers. They're both fascinated with logistics, time, and physical potential of music. They see the world through a macro lens. Many of Zimmer's scores reject themes tied to characters or emotional motifs. He blows up musical ideas to cover an entire world. Likewise, Nolan's films extend beyond their central figures that can't exist without scope. His work with Zimmer becomes more than finding the right bombast for a Batman fight or a race alongside a train. The score is where Nolan declares his intentions. The scores for Nolan's pre-Zimmer films function. Composer David Julian who became increasingly more interesting after his days with his director. Uh, replicates a modern thriller score for Nolan's debut following and his procedural insomnia. Memento blurs and floats along like a film-appropriate Brian Eno. Batman begins turning Nolan into a born-again Zimmerite. When Julian returned to work with the director on The Prestige, Nolan stepped into 
an official executive musical producer role. After he heard the piano melody that Zimmer had written for Interstellar, Nolan opened up to the composer about his intentions. He spoke to Zimmer about space's empty vastness and the history of science fiction and man's grappling with uh, space's vastness. Uh, Zimmer says the bigger, the more personal these sci-fi films get. We're looking at what our place in the world is. He says their conversation snowballed till it reached maximum ambition, and it felt like an opportunity to look outward, upward. Uh, there's a Nolan Zimmer Timber Timbre that began in uh, Batman Begins and Crescendos with uh, 2012's Chantfield score for The Dark Knight Rises. Thunderous drums smashed together blaring horns propelled by string sections trying to saw their violins in half. For a classicist like Nolan, a guy who can't walk in a room without mentioning Stanley Kubrick or David Lane, it's an odd choice. Zimmerman's affection for Sir Julio Lone's Once Upon a Time in the West revolves, resolves it. Morricone's, Ennio Morricone's score, a uh, distorted guitar and harmonica juxtaposed against French horns and strings, roared through the German composer's brain as a kid. I'd never seen a big movie. The sheer audacity of the shots and close-ups, the incredibly mournful and crazy music. Zimmer uses audacity to describe Nolan. The director may dream of days when epic dramas had overtures. Zimmer may cling to his prog rock roots, but they find common ground blowing out eardrums. They want movies to be felt. Uh, convention gnaws at both of them. They're kindred spirits because they hate what Hollywood tells them they're supposed to do. And the director reinvented the Batman franchise because he didn't want it. He wanted to reject the standards of blockbusters. And in turn, he established the term Nolan-esque as he accepted neologism for dark and gritty. Zimmer takes pride in a cue like why so serious from the dark night often referred to as Joker's theme. Its grading qualities. It's not what you're supposed to do in film scoring. With Interstellar changing the norm at rejecting an action, action filmmaking culture they'd warped ten years ago. No drums, no accelerating tempos, no inception. Brong. Homing in on the melody, the two considered the endlessness of space time and found themselves working on a medieval scale. If you want to show the future, you show the distance between the past and where we're heading, Zimmer says. No one suggested a church organ, and Zimmer seized on it. Not only was it the right sound for their heavenly venture, but the pipes of a church organ just happened to resemble a rocket ship, not to mention the instrument's unique backstory, which Zimmer can't help but launch into. It was the 17th century and it stayed the most technological thing that mankind had ever achieved until the telephone. I love the idea of using something where science had been put into the service of art. All these guys were trying to do, all these guys were trying to do was build something that made a fantastic noise. And a wonderful article goes on for a while, so I'll include it in the show notes. And it was by Matt Patches from Grantland about uh, Hans Zimmer and Christopher Nolan. 
and some wonderful scores, but particularly wonderful use of organ. Uh, 2014, 20, yeah, 20, 2014, right? 2014 award for use of an or best use of an organ on planet Earth, off of planet Earth and on planet Earth goes to Hans Zimmer and Christopher Nolan from the. Uh, oh, I don't know which. which like I can't read the. Uh, it might be the United Story Council. That's the company that's suing me. So congratulations, guys. Oh, and also Dr. Doom runs that. I don't think it's a Dr. Doom from the comics, though. Oh, wait, or is that? Well, never mind, guys. Thanks. I, wait, I, no. No, Padman. No. No. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead and make the announcement. Or I, this is it. This is called discipline. I, no. Okay, then I, I will rewrite the story right now. No, Podman, please. No, Tom, and you need. This is I'm I'm your. This is part of your friendship. This is I, I insist, and plus I control the podcast. This is never all oh, my taste. I've never. This is the kind of thing that's going to help you. You need to trust me. Please, please, Tom. Okay. I can't, Podman. Please, please, no. Yes, yes, Tommen. Okay, I'll start. I'm going to count to five, four, three. No, you won't do it. Two, one. Ah, ladies and gentlemen, I'm okay. Okay, I'll do it. I don't want you to do my voice. Ladies and ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, K-Pounce Radio. We're afraid. We're sorry to say so sorry. I'm so sorry to tell you. Uh, this week's episode of Tom and Pounce in Space with Dr. Panic. Is, you can't even do the voice. Nope. You know, think about your actions. This is one per- I'm the one person that's trying to help you. Trust me. This has been suspended from broadcast until Tom and Okay, Tommen. Take a breath. I'll do it, okay? And then next week, we'll see how it goes, okay? But I can't, I have to stand for something. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, this is the manager of Cape Ounce Radio. On behalf of Cape Ounce Radio and all the talent involved in the production of Tom and Pounce in Space, with Dr. Panic, we're, we're unfortunately experiencing technical difficulties this week due to a contract dispute. This week's episode of uh, Tom and Pounce in Space with Dr. Panic can, can, cannot be broadcast uh, this week. I'm sorry to all the fans of the show, but the show should be back next week if 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 this contract can. I'm going to have you. I'm going to have you have your head on a pike. Okay, well, that won't bring the show back, though. And then what'll happen? And we, 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 we just want to tell you, we just want to reassure you about uh, the existence of friendship because K-Pounce Radio still stands for best friendship. Okay, go ahead and finish it up. 
this uh, best friendship uh, founded on the best friendship of uh, Sir Tommy and Sir Pounce, K-Pounce Radio, strives to, to show friendship and what best friendship means between a boy and a cat as a shining example of friendship. But sometimes when Sir Pounce isn't there, to give a boy bravery and to show him what bravery is because his mother took him to, yeah, I didn't tell you that, took him from you and said, uh, sent him out, and he had to sneak back in. He found his way back in, so the friendship still exists and will exist forever. But until his best friend learns a little more courage, we apologize deeply for your show being interrupted. Okay, I'm sorry. Again, management at K-Bounce Radio apologizes. And now we continue on with... Uh, oh, wait, this is our only show. We'll be back next week, folks. Thank you. All right, it's time, it's time for my prayers. Crone, sweet, sweet Crone. Uh, Miller, Smith, Barky, Jester. It's uh, me praying in. Uh, so, uh, guys, good news... Good news, but better. Good, you know, this is one of those good news without a trick, or good news without any bad news. I'm trying to sneak in. So good news. We, we, you know, Midler announcement to you guys went last week. So far, response. Uh, most people, I think, were asleep for the launch. Gods of Midler. Hey, but you know, the episode will get replayed. I mean, that uh, portion of the episode will get replayed in a few weeks. Well, good side, that means no letters from Bette Midler's lawyers, no letters from Jessica Alba's lawyers, no letters from any companies named Midler or Alba. But I guess if they were doing anything court-related, it might take more than a week. So, But plenty of time for you guys to, you know, scout them out and say, okay, you, you should, Crone, you should already know that. You should, uh, you know, what do you call that? Pre-legal it. You know, pair, pair. Not paralegal it. Um, we you know, put put a pre-motion in. Yeah, I'd like to file. Uh, I'm the crone. We'd like to pre-file this motion against uh, Midler Metallurgy, and you know their their, their future lawsuit against uh, Podman Enterprises LLC, uh, majority owner. That's uh, just sneaking that in, guys. Of uh, Midler Enterprises. Uh, you know, uh, corp, or you know, whatever we wanted to decide. But guys, my brain was rolling this way. I said, "Okay, well, you remember I was riding my bike over a bridge, and I said to myself, oh, boy, me, I started daydreaming, gods, about the Midler launch party and everything I was going to run by you guys about the launch." And I said, well, boy, buddy, it's only episode six. What are you doing launching the app Or before we've had the, you know, we're only in, like, the part of Act 2, nothing. And I said, well, it's a TV show, and you're, and this is a made it. So I said, okay, maybe you're right. So no launch, you know, we'll wait, we'll wait a few more weeks for launch. And we got the name, and we got the concept, but we don't have the actual product. Barky hasn't figured out what API means, Barky. It would be nice. Just considering how many trees you got, you should just listen to some, uh, they, they got trees in Silicon Valley. They got trees in Silicon Alley. 
silicon circle, silicone, uh, you know, you know, silicone, silicon alley. Uh, so just just figure out what API means, Barky. I'm I'm busy here. Uh, so we don't have a feature set. We don't have a um. We don't have funding, which is brings to me, and we don't say, well, we don't know our revenue streams. But guys, you know, I'll be damned if I let any of that stop me from creating a complaint app, or you know, having you guys you know create a complaint app and a complaint app corporation. You know, I'm not gonna, you know, that's not gonna, uh, you know, throw me off my game. Those are those aren't even setbacks. Those are TBDs to be done. You know, mountains to be climbed. We're building up momentum. But I figured just in case, gods. And again, I think this is like one of these myths. You say, well, geez, you just get like it used to be with screenwriting. They say you just need a good idea and you could sell the script. I don't really think that was ever true. But people believed it. They said, well, geez, I'm going to sell it. I got an idea about an idiot who prays an imaginary guy. Don't worry. That's my idea. Okay? Just slowly roll plagiarizers. And they said, well, geez, I think it was called Bruce Almighty when it came out. About a man who believes he prays to a bunch of gods accidentally comes up with a billion-dollar complaint app called Midler. He comes heir to Midler fortune also, which might even be more than a billion dollars. Uh, becomes a becomes a superhero. Didn't we have that in there, guys? At some point, you know, if something happens to Bat Midler, you know, somebody steals her vocal cords. I rise again, you know, given powers by each of the gods. Ability to uh, slow time down and put wrinkles in time with by the crone. Uh, weapons of, uh, you know, cutting power, slashing power, you know, flesh that is, uh, looks like flesh but has a metallic, like titanium dioxide, sunscreen, and shielding against not only the sun's rays, but any ray-based weapons from the smiths. A permanent sustenance of body and mind and also, I, but from the Miller, but also his secret move, multiple moves of a of a of a, a fighting style never before seen in the earthly world. He can become what he calls, you know, the old mill, you know, where he does this somersault that just keeps on rolling, crushes all enemies, grinds them, stone grounds them. And also just a gritty, you know, work-a-day attitude and ability to feed all the people from the miller. The power to control trees, the power to control leaves, the power to bud. And then, uh, you know, cone-based weapon systems, uh, pine pine gases, pine-based solvent uh, weaponry. Ability to uh, make his legs stretch out, a trunk long get well, yeah, actually, I could use it. That would be another power. But, you know, main trunk lengthening, you know, sea stuff or tower over stuff. 
ability to have trees team up and, you know, you know, toss enemies from the bark, barky, uh, who else I got up there? And, uh, you know, ability to laugh, trickster moves, trickster dialogue that makes the people laugh. Uh, Ability to talk his way uh, into trouble and then out of trouble and create trouble for the troublemakers. Ally Jester. Also, you know, magical moves of sleight of hand. Like a mentalist. Not a mental, mental, you know, you know, from from the jester. And, you know, when when he's tired, after he's been out battling, uh, you know, he goes home to the maiden. Uh, actually, you know, he just goes over to her place for a little while, hangs, and says, yo, I gotta, I gotta bounce. That's the middler. Or whatever. But anyway, guys, I got totally off track there. Oh, boy. Sorry about that, guys. I rolled into a daydream there. What was this? So I said, well, there used to be a uh, thing, create a screenplay like that. And they say, hey, just go, you know, you you just sell it on spec. And they'll buy it, and that's it. And then, you know, that's, that's what road dreams are made of. Now, those of us who listen to script notes, John and Craig, and their wisdom and experience... Uh, you know, you know, it's, 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 the road's paved in hard work, talent, aptitude, and a lot more hard work, heartbreak, and then going back and doing more work, you know, feedback, growth, all those things. That's where you become a screenwriter. And being nice people, turns out, apparently, from what it sounds like from the people I listen to. But, yeah, so that, you know, they said, well, geez, that screenwriting fake dream is, is it's still around, actually. And then they say about podcasting, <laughs> too, God, so, oh boy, uh, make a million dollars podcasting. But they, one place where it perpetuates, and you say, well, geez, is it real or not, is, uh, is apps and uh, technology. So I was thinking, well, how about we just get acquired, God's? You say, hey, Google, Facebook, well, you say, well, you, who do we want to acquire us? Yelp. I don't know who the hell owns Yelp. You know, or maybe we acquire, we say we're going to acquire Yelp, so then somebody acquires us, or the guy that was snooping on my LinkedIn profile. But, you know, and they say, well, we're taking more than, you know, we're interviewing suitors. But that's one way you do it when you, and, and they say, well, nowadays they acquire people for talent. And guys, they can hear you laughing, so you say, hilarious, you know, for intellectual, what do they call it? Not intellectual, I don't know what they call it, but you say, that's what they said with the Beats music acquisition. It was really acquiring the team, the Beats music team. But you say, well, Jesus, could we get acquired? Could Midler be acquired? And they say, well, who's going to acquire? What if Ben Midler bought us? She say, hey, I don't want to sue you. Uh, I'll buy up Midler. For you know, I mean, she's got that's got to be good for six, seven hundred mil, maybe, maybe not. But you know, we say, geez, she says, say, hey, if you'd stop talking about me, I'd give you uh, three hundred grand. And I'd say, well, guys don't need any money, right, guys? So I'd say, well, okay, I'll take my share, I'll tithe it out. You know, I'll drop twenty percent to tithe to you guys. I don't know, I don't hear about that in the Game of Thrones, so I don't know if you guys know about that, but, uh, 
And they said, well, how would the gods feel about acquisitions? Because I said, well, how does it go on up there? And Eli brought this up a couple weeks ago. So I was like, oh, boy, yeah, Clash of the Titans. Wasn't really the first Clash of the Titans with Harry Hamlin. He was more clashing. He wasn't Clash of the Titans. And that was actually the Greek gods. So I said, wait, was that the Titans he was clashing? And then I didn't see the new one, and there was Clash of the Titans, and there's some of us. But we say, geez, we got the actual Clash of the Titans going here, because we're, like, what would that happen if Yelp's board was, uh, they'd say, well, Yelp's board is clashing with the Titans, the actual Titans have, uh, or Yelp acquired the Titans, owned by Yahoo, they they acquired the Titans to clash against the gods old and new in, in an attempt to acquire Midler Incorporated. We're gonna make it. We got a nap that you complain to. My neighbor upstairs is banging round, dudes. We're gonna make an app for you to complain into. You already said that. Nothing's gonna stop us right now. Gonna be acquired and how? Ooh, it's Midler Enterprises. Ooh, uh, creating an app-based complaint system. Something that we won't write. You just said some words that were nonsense. That's right. Midler's getting ready to launch one day soon. Barky doesn't know what API is, but we, me and the guys, are gonna start an app biz. And I'm gonna mean more made up words now. Sorry, guys, that was a musical based interlude because I didn't have I said, well. Kind of stuck for discussion points. So, 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 what, what, what do you guys think about being acquired? Would you put up a fight or would you say, well, you know, we say, geez, you don't want a Yahoo stock. I can hear you, Barky. And you're, you know, do all the trees, do we have to do one of those things where they send you, do we have to send every tree a vote? And they say, well, we can vote in this. And they say, just throw it away. Do I have fifty? Would I have fifty-one percent of the vote? And they say, "Well, she said, I don't want to. I'm not really a businessman. I'm, a, you know, I'm just a, uh, just a regular guy. Like maybe we should just go for. Maybe it should just be a front for me, Midler-based vengeance, Midler. Oh, jeez, cats! What if we take it in the spirit of this episode into the heart of darkness a little bit here with our last couple minutes together? And you say, well, geez, you could get the Midler, you know, Midler-free version. Or the Conrad, you know, the Midler-Conrad edition, that's uh, $11,099. Or something, you know, 39 30 whatever. I, I, again, guys, I said, what was the most expensive app I ever bought? I'm pretty sure I paid over ten for other than games. I said Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. I think I don't know how much that was. That was worth it. And then I had a couple other Bart's uh, Boulder's Gate. I bought that one. Um, anyway, so Midler the Conrad edition, 
people complaining it it gets you know goes up the goes from uh, it's pinged from the app or you know pushed however the hell you want to do it gets you get a push notification up there it gets central and you guys sit around a table you say okay this guy here he's complaining about this uh you know, let's just say it's a West, we'll use a, a, a fantasy kingdom as an example, not Westeros, though. We'll use Dragonlance, I think they were in Kryn. He lives in Kryn, he's got a dragon overlord moved in, this guy's got a dragon named Frostbite, who's circling around, stealing everybody's crops. They take 70% of all your crops, and, and they still, they, you know, they do all this stuff. And the guy somehow, strangely enough, this guy had access to the Midler uh, purchasing ecosystem. I don't know if it was a Google Play or iOS, whatever. And he purchased the uh, Conrad upgrade. And he said, hey, can you come deal with this dragon overlord? And his dragon frostbite. And you just say, you guys should just hit Midler, I guess, and then um, and then do some god stuff. And then I would get equipped with the proper weapons portal would open I'd roll into uh, whatever neighborhood in Kryn this was I'd skip, you know, I'd, uh, Trickster you know, Trickster, Warrior, Rogue well, I don't know, Rogue I, you know, I always have trouble with the Rogues or the Thief-based classes because I prefer to have some armor when I'm playing these type of games well, you clearly I'm not like a, your gung-ho warrior Whatever, I like to be, so you know, not a paladin because I'm not, you know, good enough for that kind of thing. But I'll roll in there, I have some armor, probably like a frost, frost, frost reverser, you know, with some buffs or whatever they do. Now they call them buffs, gods. And I'll say, uh, maybe I'll do a trickster move to start it out, roll into his headquarters, but really I'll be sending like a uh, virtual version. Because that would give me an up. I'd have, like, technology. Though there's not really any projection systems we could send. But anyway, you know, future-based, you know, God-based technology. GBT. Send in a version, you know, magic mirror type thing. Go in there and I'd say, hey, is this a dra- dragon overlord? What, what do you call yourself? Uh, Frostbeard? i say, I'm, you know, whatever. Dragula von Guan. That's oh, what is that, uh? What are you, uh, French-Canadian? Ah, I'd prefer Frostbeard. I could call you Pumpernickel. That was from another story, but uh, I say, just say, just, you know, I got a, complaint, a couple of complaints here. And then trickster stuff, you know, bad breath. You, you got to do that. You get them more mad. And you say, well, toe fungus, is this you? Was this your complaints? It says you uh, were overcharged at the... Uh, the Gargoyle Spa for toenail, pink toenails, and you felt like they were rosé. Is that true? And then he'd get mad. He'd call Frostbite. I'd be on the top of the cave that says hideout, but Frostbite would shoot down to take out my avatar type. Jump on Frostbite's system. I'd say, hey, Frostbite, do you like snow cones? Rorones? I'd say, yeah, what's your favorite flavor? Blue Freeze? Hey, I say, here, have it. He'd get a brain freeze. 
but I'd also have made friends with him, and then he'd crash to the ground, probably, you know, boom, Midler, the legend of Midler. We solve problems in Kryn, but not Westeros, because we don't do fan fiction. You know, they're, you know, and on Earth. We could have an ad. We Maybe we could get a Kate, uh, what's her name? And they say, you know, forget Clash of Clans, forget Boom Beach, forget Dragon Face, or whatever the hell other ones you're playing. Those are free freemiums. This is for reals. You know, you get some, hey, you know, app-based vengeance, Midler, app-based vengeance via Midler and the gods. Wow, good brainstorm, gods. You guys are, you guys are on it. You are on it. And uh, you guys are the best. Uh, so thanks. <laughs>